Hey, welcome to the Dear Warren podcast, where we do backseat parenting. We share stories, principles, parables, lessons. We pass them down to my son, Warren, and most, most importantly of all, we try to have fun and hope you do too. This episode features our good friend, Ben Bettenbender. Ben is a father, project manager, boxing instructor, and a whiskey connoisseur. He's a return guest that planted a seed in our last podcast together when he mentioned uh, data-driven sports. And since then, we've been noticing and experiencing a boom in data-driven everything, which actually spun off a series of topics we took a deep dive into today. Uh, It included things such as uh, managing and leading in a technological world. Somehow it bounced to universal basic income. Then we talked about automation. And then Ben got on a topic of stretching our consciousness to unimaginable levels through technology. Yeah, we fell down a rabbit hole. But this is why he's a great boxing coach, people. He can pass this information down in a way we all can absorb and comprehend fully with detail, with care, with love. We present to you again, Ben Bettenbender. This is the Dear Warren Podcast. I'm here again with Mr. Ben Bettenbender. How you, how you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, Eck. It's, it's great to, to see you again. Yes, it's great to have you back in the States. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, bouncing around a little bit, but, uh, you know, glad to be back. What was your most recent trip? Uh, I, I'm back out to uh, Ireland a lot. So uh-huh. so as, as we, we've talked about before, uh, I, I work... Uh, in a communications group here in in the states for Prudential, uh, but we uh, have an agile development team, actually two teams. Uh, they're out in uh, Donegal County in a town called Letterkenny. Uh, National Geographic recently ranked it the best place in the world to live. Like no joke, like they said, Donegal. You know, in terms of like how happy people are, mm-hmm. you know, the quality of life, you know, you know, the cost of living, all of that. Everything factored in. They said it's the best place in the world to live. Why are you back here? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. So we we um, we have uh, a a large uh, a tech technology center out there. Uh, we have about fifteen hundred employees, and uh, I have two scrum teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have about seventeen people in total, and so I'm there about three or four times a year. Mm. Uh, we do most of our work um, remotely, obviously, and and you know now with technology and video conferencing and and all of that you know it's it's really easy to collaborate but there are some things that you just cannot uh you know uh, capture when unless you're in a room like you're just in there and you're sort of feeling the energy and you're sort of bouncing ideas off people so uh we we've really made it just a point of of making sure we're co-located uh several times a year sometimes we bring their folks over here but you know it's easier for me to go over there than to bring everyone over here so i i I jump around quite a lot do you think you found the happy medium between that as far as in facetime versus uh all right remote you are at your computer whatever miles and miles away you think you found that yet that that's a that's an interesting question because uh when we started out i definitely didn't have it right you, you know, we we uh, we went out there for a sprint zero. So for anybody who uh, works in agile, you know that's that's sort of the preparation period, uh, where you you align everything, you get everybody on the same page, you sort of describe what you're going to be looking to build, and uh, then we 
you know, they, they went to work and I came back to the States and we began our sprints. And I would say we had about two or three months of some very, very successful development. And then for some reason, the wheels came off the wagon and hmm. uh, we started to hear complaints and people feeling like they weren't being appreciated and feeling like they were under too much pressure. And I think part of it was our not understanding in, in terms of uh, we, we were doing something that hadn't been done before with mm. the product we were using. So it's an IBM platform. Uh, it, it's a uh, uh, we built the original site on a combination of Portal and Wickham, which is their uh, content management system. And they had never used personalization. No, no IBM client had used personalization across an enterprise the way we were using it. Okay. So we were, we were having a very uh, personalized uh, homepage experience. We were bringing in content based on, on uh, ID properties. And it required a lot of testing. It required uh, quite a lot of... Um, uh, extra work that we hadn't anticipated when we first went on that path. And I think the team was trying to be good sports. They were trying to be, you know, good partners and they weren't always telling us how much extra work was involved. Anyway, long story short, uh, we, we, we got together, we worked through some hard feelings and we eventually said, all right, you guys just need some support. So we spun off a completely separate team just to work on, on sort of, uh, bringing down the, you know, the, the page load times and, you know, basically perform, it was a performance, uh, optimization team. Mm -hmm. Right. And that took the pressure off the scrum team. And then we got back to things and they were going very well. But what we discovered was I went out there to sort of address all this. And as soon as we got in the room and we were looking eye to eye again, uh, sort of all of those feelings of suspicion and, and lack of appreciation and all, it just went out the window. Uh, and it's, it's one of the challenges with working purely through technologies, right? I mean, we're still people, we still respond. I mean, like I'm, I'm looking at you right now and you're nodding and you, you know, uh, you, you know, I'm glowing because I love Ben and well, I'm glad yeah. he's here. Well, I so. mean, I, I mean, these are great <laughs> conversations. Zach. Yes. I mean, this is this, you, th what you do is, is, is beautiful and, mm. and you, you have a real gift for it, but what you're doing right now, the thing you bring to your podcasts, the thing that allows you to elicit such, I think, wonderful, uh, you know, insight and conversations with people is, is that you make that connection through the, throughout the entire conversation. Now, if you were doing this completely remotely, I mean, there's still warmth in your voice and there's still your intelligence and your insight, but what you lack then is that, that face-to-face, -face, that human connection. And, uh, when I left and things were just feeling like they were really going well, I just immediately, you know, chalked it up to another, you know, like, you know, you, you know, the jujitsu thing, you know, I tapped, right. You know, I was out there and I ended up tapping and I said, okay, I have to go back and make sure that doesn't happen again. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what I got from that tap was, you know, the next time I can't just assume that everything's going well because no one's saying anything. So now whether we need it or not, every quarter I, I get on a plane and I go out there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what has happened now, since we sort of introduced this cadence is that, that there are always these sort of deep dives, these workshops that they want to address, that I want to address, that we, we create a running list. We have sort of a punch list. And then when I get out there, we schedule the entire week We're you know, 10 hours a day. Uh, and it's become this really productive, uh, you know, uh, highly anticipated sort of, uh, session you know, uh, once a quarter. But the most important thing is I go out there and, you know, I'm asking about their family and it's like, oh my gosh, your kids have gotten so much bigger. Sometimes they bring the kids in, you know, I'm going out to dinner with them. Uh, and it's just, it's sort of, uh, deepening the connection that allows us to work a lot of times under a lot of pressure. You know, you're, you're, you're gonna, 
I think commit to, uh, you know, maybe extra hours, weekends, you know, putting in, you know, like working through lunch. If you feel like the other person's on the you know, same page with you and they're really supporting you, you'll support them in turn. And, and so that, that face-to-face has just become critical for us. This is, it ties into a, a bit of what I wanted to get into, um, uh, other topics, just general, before we go back to like automation, yeah. um, just these advancements in, in technology. We actually, uh, a couple of podcasts ago, I had a former coworker of mine who mm. is very pro, um, he's um, writing a series on how to obtain a job where it's purely remote. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like that other direction where um, I don't want to have to come into the office all the time. I would love if I could, if you are based in Seattle, I can still stay here in New Jersey and just do my job. Yeah. And there is, uh, there's, there's, there's a semblance of, yeah, the validity to that. Like you, there's a lot of developers out there where, you know, they'll outsource, um, or companies will outsource that development work out. But then as you're saying, uh, in context, if you have this brand new project that you're doing that no one has ever done before and everyone kind of has to be on the same page and there's a lot of uh, uh, nuance that's lost, careful communication, you have to find that balance between uh, 100% remote work, you don't have to come in versus actually, hey, there's some FaceTime between you and other uh, yeah. parts of your team, uh, especially the, 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 just that word, team. It's not just you, you're working with yeah. other people. Yeah, I... I, I I, I'm a big fan of, of being able to work remotely. I'm a big fan of alternate work arrangements. And the very fact that we have a team, you know, more than 4,000 miles away, that's such a critical part of our, our development and our, our success, you know, shows that, you know, we're committed to that. But uh, it, sort of my, um, I think, variation on it to make it work a little better was was the just finding those times to be in the room because what, what happens is they carry over, you know, you, you know, the folks, you know, we get some new team members, they come in, we have, uh, our DevOps lead left recently. He, he got another position and, and we had a gentleman step into the role and it was a mammoth undertaking because, uh-huh. uh, uh, there, there, there's just so much involved with, with, uh, you know, provisioning sites and we're creating this whole extended you know, framework of, of, uh, internet sites. And, uh, he came in and he was really under the gun, uh, within two weeks of his joining, I was out there and we set aside time, uh, to just sit down with him and say, listen, what do you need? Right. And, uh, it, it, it was really kind of funny because he, he just sort of let it all out. And suddenly, you know, he, he had been you know, being sort of the good soldier all along, but suddenly all this stuff came out, you know, he's under the gun. His son has been sick. His son was actually in the hospital. You know, his, his wife says, you know, he's never home anymore. And we suddenly got a real picture into just what was involved in him coming in and taking over this. Right. So we, we immediately pulled somebody off of our, our regular sort of BAU support team, uh, you know, very talented guy who we had been looking at down the road as possibly, you know, a junior DevOps, um, uh, specialist as well right but we we sped that up we brought him in we got uh our new lead the the assistance he needed right away and by the time i was leaving you know he he was taking us aside and just saying listen this is so helpful we really appreciate it you know not just him but his wife his family everyone you know it's it's those moments those connections and then i you know you, you can continue to work remotely but when you're speaking to the person you know who they are right you you know a little bit about them and and as i say 
I think probably, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, we may go to people who have whole careers and they're entirely remote. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can kind of see that it's, it's trending that way, but I, you know, we'll just, as my own sort of personal spin on this, I would suggest that, you know, if you can find those opportunities to get people in a room and, you know, have a lunch and, you know, do a workshop together and kind of see how people think and see how people react, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to feed the entire process. Jess works remote. Yeah. She, uh, she works remote for, for her job. But also at the same time, I would say every other month goes in maybe three days uh, every month, fly into Chicago. Yeah. Meet up with uh, the team. They go out, have dinner, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Pretty much, you know, That's what, what, you're, pace, what yeah. you're promoting as well, too. Yeah. It's um, sometimes when I think of it, and this was years back, I would say five, ten years back. I think there was still like that old school uh, mentality of the boss saying, "Well, if you're at home, you're just you're just going to horse around. You're just right. going to slack off." Right. And um, they they see it as uh, you are an asset to churn out X amount of productivity. Like if I, yeah. if I, if you produce, you know, 10 widgets, if I put five people, I'm going to get, you know, 50 widgets right. out, out of this. And it just, in this new world, especially with technology, especially in, in software development, as opposed to the old school, what is it, industrial revolution yeah. where you're actually churning out widgets Exactly. that th- th- this is different now. This is, uh, it's a combination of what, exactly what you said. There's a, there's exploration into it. There's, there's research and it's, it's a bunch of ideas being solved versus let's just crank out a widget. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's a funny thing because management thinking, uh, First of all, my, my reaction to hearing that, and I know that's absolutely the case, but, but if, if a manager is seeing his or her role as overseeing you know, their, their team and their being productive, that, that manager is wasting their time, right? So a, a, a manager is a service leader. A manager is doing all the things they can do to make their people as productive as possible, not to sit over their shoulder, right? And you're absolutely right. This is a paradigm shift uh, that has occurred as we've moved into the, the digital world. We've, we've moved into a place where, you know, um, uh, highly skilled workers, knowledge workers are providing different kinds of services, right? So uh, if, if I can unleash the potential of all the people who are working on my team, they are going to be, you know, you know, exponentially more productive than I could be if I was sitting there trying to do, you know, work and watching them and kind of micromanaging them. Mm, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like really, you know, it comes down to, you know, I, I'm basically providing the direction for them, and I'm providing, I'm helping to provide the vision, though that's collaborative as well. Uh, and then it's finding a way to, as I said, make them as productive as possible, make them as happy, as invested, and as productive as possible. You know, uh, one of the things I, I spend a lot of time talking to to my team members about is, and, you know, I'm not going to say that I got this all myself, like I just landed on this one day. I, you know, I uh, recently read Hit Refresh, you know, the Sachin Nadella uh, it, it, biography of his first several years as the Nadella, CEO. That's Microsoft, right? Yeah. The, it, it, mm-hmm. it, and it's about his first several years as the CEO of Microsoft. But, but he, he keeps talking about a purpose-driven company, right? And when, when, he, when he took over, 
as CEO, the first thing he did was he sat down with all of his directs, and it was you know a good number of people, and you know they they sat in some huge room there, and I guess they ordered pizza or whatever, and you know they they had a, a multi-hour session, and instead of kind of talking to them about like where are they with their teams, and you know you know show me your reports and all of this, he 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 took a very different direction. He went around the room and he asked each person to describe the purpose they felt in in the work they were doing uh and he 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 said it actually it surprised them and then they started to uh kind of give themselves over to it and he says it became very emotional he says because invariably they all did share some idea of the value that they were providing right they all connected with it somehow i mean there wasn't that sort of cynical thing of like well you know i got to pay off my mortgage right or you know i i i have a i have a summer house and i have a boat right it wasn't it wasn't like that it was really like they all did believe they had all gone into this and i think this this also relates to your saying that you know the knowledge workers are different than than the old sort of factory workers right uh they they go into it with a, a, a sense that they want to contribute to something important mm-hmm. right they they want it to matter Absolutely. Right. And uh, so he he really challenged them all to articulate that and to share that. And, uh, you know, we we, we talk about this within our team all the time. You know, we 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 keep talking about the value of the services we provide to our clients, the services we provide to our end users. And we always want to keep those top of mind, because what we don't want to get into is that sort of cynical mindset of, you know, it, it's my job. This is what I'm supposed to do here. Take it, pass it on to the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we want everybody to have sort of an ownership mentality. Mm-hmm. We want everybody invested in the outcome. And, you, you know, like, you know, as, as Nadella was getting at with, with that, you know, presenting that question to his, to his directs. And obviously he wanted to cascade that throughout the entire organization, which, you know, he's, he's done a great job of sort of transforming the culture there. You know, we want, we want people to feel like, uh, this matters and I'm part of something that's important. Right. So, and he, I think he's obviously done a, a, an amazing job. I was reading a recent amazing. article about, uh, uh, Microsoft stock, especially, uh, in the cloud computing, uh, department. Yeah. So the big ones are obviously Microsoft. Then you have, uh, uh Amazon with their AWS and you have Google. Amazon and Google. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, Microsoft was just coming out on top yeah. and, um, there was an article written and some of the big, like, kind of like, uh, things that they had going for themselves. And I saw one of this was like a lot of their businesses obviously driven from their Microsoft office suite. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Office 365. And in case anyone is wondering, you know, with, with the, the technology talk, if you have a windows PC laptop and you're sending email through outlook and, um, and using Microsoft Word or Excel spreadsheets, that's their platform. They basically yeah. took that, what, what is on your computer right now, and then they just made it available in the, quote, the cloud. So you yeah. can be connected to any computer and use that application, which is, you know, is it, there's, there's uh, they use the term cloud purists, mm-hmm. uh, where, where there were people who, uh, like Amazon, they developed their own technologies that are only in the cloud, yeah. not also on a desktop application. Right. And so they were trying to, I jabbed at them a bit. I'm like, well, of course they're going to make tons of money off of Office or Microsoft Word Cloud because everyone is used to it. They grew up on that. Yeah. But that still doesn't discount it from contributing and and uh, staying relevant, staying important. 
Yeah. And uh, the the amount of uh, adoption and everyone using it and knowing it. It's kind of like uh, when we we use the term now. We, it's a verb. Google. Google that. Yeah. And now when you think about like, uh, oh, writing a document, I'm like, okay, I better double click on Microsoft Word and start doing my research paper, you know? So it was good on them, Microsoft, for they stayed the course and they didn't screw up. They didn't. I, I haven't heard any like negative, like bad press like Facebook has had or Google has had. And there you go. They, they recently, I know they've, they've shifted back and forth, but they recently in total valuation passed uh, Alphabet, the, the parent company of wow. Google, right? So they're, mm. they're behind just Apple now. Uh, so they, they um, uh, he, he has contributed uh, to one of the most successful corporate turnarounds. I mean, mm-hmm. they, uh, Microsoft was always huge, but the amount of uh, market valuation that he has added to that company has been you know, in excess of some of the biggest players in the technology world. Like he, mm-hmm. he has added more to the value of Microsoft than, than many top technology companies are worth in total. Right. Yes. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's really been remarkable and it's been brave, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I talk about purpose and, and, and connectedness and sort of that, that, you know, those human elements and, uh, I talk about courage as well. Right. So I think it's, it's sometimes easy to think that, that, um, the, these qualities don't matter as much in, in a purely technology-driven world, but I would argue that, that uh, they are just as important, if, if not more important than they have ever been. We, um, you know, we, we had this situation where Microsoft, much as they were in the early 90s, they, they sort of had a, like a solid position in one area. You know, you're talking about their suite of applications, right? And their mm-hmm. suite of applications were you know, running everything, right? Mm. Uh, and they could have sat back and just sort of said, "This is this is our business model, and we're gonna we're gonna focus on this." Much as they could have back in the early '90s when they had all the hardware market. Uh, but back in the early '90s, there's a very famous uh, email that uh, Bill Gates wrote to the company, um, where he he basically said, "You know, our future is in the internet." And people were like, yeah, but you know, it, the internet was, I mean, clearly it was, it was growing and it was useful and more people were understanding it, but it was nothing like what we think of now. Right. Uh, and it, it went against standard business wisdom to say, let's, let's focus our efforts on something which is not core to our current business. Right. So, you know, traditional business thinking is that you, you tend to, you know, just double down on the things which are, you know, producing revenue quarter over quarter over quarter. Things you're and, good at. Exactly. Right. And that's, that's what analysts have always looked for. But, but that has, that, that has been changing. Right. So, so uh, Gates, Gates wrote that and they, they committed to, you know, this, this, this new sort of connected uh, web, right. Worldwide web. And uh, you know, that they stayed relevant for decades after that. Nadella recently did that with um, AI. So he said to the, he, he basically said to all of his employees, he said, this is the future. Mm-hmm. He says, this is now going to be a layer over all work we do, everything we do. And the, the pace of introduction has been spectacular. So, uh, when we started out our project, uh, last June, uh, it, 
basically, I don't want to go into a ton of detail about it, but ba- we, we were taking, please do. We were taking, we were taking, <laughs> we, we had like a lot of big enterprises. We had a very scattered internet and, mm-hmm. and I've, I've been focusing on treating the employee much like our customers, right? We, we want to, we want to get away from, you know, it, it, we put this out there and they can use it or not use it, right? We, we, we really want to focus on the experience they have, how we can make them more productive, more engaged, uh, more efficient. And uh, so when we started this new uh, project, we brought everything into a single framework. So think like LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have, you have these company pages, the templates are owned by LinkedIn, the content's owned by the company. We wanted to create the same thing and you know, basically create a common experience across anything an employee would touch. Mm-hmm. So uh, w- we started down this path. And one of the things we had behind this was basically their social graph, right? The same kind of social graph that you'll get in a LinkedIn or in a Facebook, right? They, they called it office graph. Uh, and this connected all of their uh, SharePoint assets and uh, it allowed you to uh, develop uh, uh, reports and recommendations and uh, serve up very useful information around trends and all of that uh, based on SharePoint content. Now, as we're getting ready to implement this as sort of a recommendation engine for our content, we found out that the entire office graph is being deprecated and they are replacing it with what they're calling a Microsoft graph, hmm. which basically cascades out several layers to include, you know, all of their office 365. It brings in Azure information. I mean, it's now like, you know, an order of magnitude greater in terms of what it can actually connect. Mm-hmm. than what they had and you, you realize you know this is within a year right they've they've replaced a you know sort of their signature uh social graph product with a new far more robust uh graph that gives us much greater ai capabilities in terms of what we can do right mm-hmm. so this is the future for them they they are doubling down on this and mm-hmm. you're you're starting to see the the advantage of it but but doing that again i mean you know when they're successful Everybody's going to be saying, well, yeah, duh, you know, you're supposed to, you know, it was so obvious, but it wasn't obvious at the time that Nadella came in and committed to that, right? Mm -hmm. He was a visionary. You know, uh, there there are a lot of things where, you know, obviously cloud, yes, that was, you know, Amazon had already demonstrated, you know, the, the potential of, of creating basically cloud services Mm -hmm. uh, as, and productizing them, Right. Google followed. Microsoft made a strong push with Azure. They've made up a ton of ground. They're now a major player Absolutely. in that space, as yep. you say. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know their commitment to AI and now their you know commitment to sort of the next phase where they're looking at quantum computing. Mm-hmm. You know they, they are they are looking ahead. I, I'm using Microsoft as an example because we work you know, uh, with them closely. And I, I just finished reading this book, but I mean, mm-hmm. I see this, I see this in a lot of technology, right? Uh, Amazon has, I think been able to more successfully, maybe than any company I've ever seen, uh, issue the demands of analysts for those sort of quarter over quarter improvements, right? I mean, Bezos, when they've been doing very well, he stayed the course when they haven't been doing well, he stayed the course, right? He's, he's not interested in short-term profits. He's interested in pushing everything back into, you know, developing sort of this, you know, extended ecosystem of services mm-hmm. that, that they offer. 
And uh, it has been, uh, it, well, you know, it's changed the world, right? He, he's mm. changed the world. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I recently read that, that uh, uh, Warren Buffett uh, and Jamie Dimon of, of uh, uh, J.P. Morgan had both cautioned against that sort of obsession with quarterly numbers. They said, mm. maybe it's time to do away with them altogether. They said, because what they think it's doing is it's doing the businesses themselves a disservice. If they are constantly having to show uh, where their progress has been for only a few months, mm -hmm. as opposed to sticking to a long-term strategy that involves growth and investment and be, you know, be, becoming test and learn and really pushing into new markets and really taking the time to grow and develop things, they said they are going to be putting businesses at a competitive disadvantage and the fact that they're now articulating this is really fascinating given the success mm. of companies like amazon where they have largely eschewed that and they are now you, you know showing the benefit uh, netflix is another one where they just kept investing everything back into the company everything back into the company pouring everything into first platform and now content and mm -hmm. suddenly you know without acquiring anyone they are a content platform that you know rivals Disney, right? I mean, they, they, they are, you know, the content behemoth. And, uh, th this is, this is a different kind of thinking. This is a, a courageous thinking, mm. right? And as I said, it, it's, you know, having a sense of purpose, having a personal connection to the work you do and having the courage to stick to it and to go against conventional thinking. I mean, these, these are all hallmarks, I think of the most successful sort of technology companies, but trends in the way work is being done now. I mean, as you said, it's not, it's not just, you know, going from 10 widgets to 50 widgets, right? Yes. It, it's now, it's now about investing in things which can have, uh, really, uh, increasing long range benefits across, you know, across markets, across society in ways that we have never seen before. For every Netflix, for every Microsoft, for every courageous thing where you see of, of, uh, of original thought of trend breaking thought. Uh, I'm sure there's another thousand nameless ones that, you know, attempted to go sort of in that direction, but then we just never hear of them due to, I guess, just poor implementation or maybe the vision wasn't correct. Or maybe as you said, uh, uh something happened where the wheels went off their projects and they just never recovered. So it's, it's a, it's a give and take, I guess, where, it, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. You'd, you'd have to, you'd have to sit in on some of those sessions. Um, but I have a theory. Go for it. Not, 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 it, it, this wouldn't account for all cases, but the most successful companies, the most successful have had one characteristic that just is, you know, huge within those companies. And that's an almost fanatic obsession with the user hmm. right I uh, I think sometimes people can become uh, so focused on the technology that they're trying to deliver that they sometimes forget that somebody needs to end up actually using it mm -hmm. they need to have something that they're trying to solve right if I can't sit down with you and very succinctly describe to you how this will, either solve something that you have as a current challenge or provide something that you never had before, but you're going to love as soon as I give it to you. If I can't do that, 
I should go back and rethink it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was there was wonderful. Uh, if you watch Silicon Valley on HBO, uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of the show, right? Uh, but they, they had uh, through the course of the first couple of seasons, they had this spectacular, you know, technological marvel of a platform that they were developing, and they had this wonderful uh, segment, I think, in season three where they suddenly hit this roadblock because no users knew what it was. They couldn't figure it out, right? So they were going into these extended workshops where they were spending hours with the testers explaining how to use it. Of course, breaking all testing protocol, user uh-huh. testing protocol, but going in and explaining. And then at the end of them, at the end of the, the sessions, a couple of them got it and then they were very excited about it. But again, you know, it mm-hmm. was, they had developed something that was a technological marvel, but nobody could figure out what it meant to them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I had an opportunity recently to visit Newark Venture Partners in, uh, obviously in downtown Newark. Uh, it's in the same building where Audible uh, has their offices. Audible is as an Amazon company, and Newark Venture Partner uh, is a um, uh, a partnership that was developed to help uh, emerging tech companies mm-hmm. with sort of all the soft skills that maybe they were lacking. Right. So, you know, they have a product, but, you know, do they have, do they know how to go and talk to, uh, you know, JVs? Do they, uh, do they, you know, have a marketing plan? Do they, you know, do they talking to angel investors, exactly. being able to talk a- about quarterly reports? Et exactly. Right. So, so they, 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 they're, they're basically, um, helping them with all of the skills they need to turn this into a viable, uh, business. So speaking with, uh, uh, they have a small team. They have maybe six, seven people who are full-time employees, but they, they have a wonderful space. And at any point, you can have like 40 companies, and they have companies from all over the world. They have you know, companies from Europe. They have some, one from Israel. I mean, they're, they're, they're from all over. But I was, I was, asking, uh, I was asking her, I said, uh, like, what are the gaps? Like, what are you finding is, is missing when, when you're talking to them? I, and, you know, she says, well, it's, it's mostly just how to and this and that. I said, well, what about the products themselves? I said, do you ever deal with the products? She says, no, we try to keep our hands off that. I said, well, give me an example where you, you, you have like looked at something and maybe provided some guidance. She said, well, the one thing that I've noticed is a lot of them haven't figured out how people are going to use it. Mm-hmm. And see, mm-hmm. you, to your point, I mean, if people are out there developing great technology and, you know, the programmers and the developers and the designers, you know, all sort of get it, that that's wonderful. Yeah. But they're not going to be your, your audience. Yeah. You know, it, being able to tell that story, being able to connect it. I mean, you know, everybody talks about Steve Jobs, but that was his genius. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Bill Gates came by, by the way, Bill Gates came to really respect him and they became close friends mm-hmm. later on. But early on, they were both very disdainful of each other. And, you know, Gates' disdain was born of the fact that Jobs wasn't a technology guy, right? He says, he can't code. Like, why are we even talking about this guy? He can't code. Like, to him, mm-hmm. that was, you know, th- th- those were the table stakes, right? He, he doesn't get in the door, right? And Jobs was disdainful because he says, he's just a coder, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> he doesn't know anything about the people he's building this for. He says, I know the people, right? So... I, I truly do believe that we have um, the ability to create things that are almost limitless in in the products we can come up with and the things they can do. But figuring out what to solve and whether or not it really resonates with people, I think, is the secret sauce in all of this. And so 
maintaining that empathy, again, another human quality, right? Like we have, you know, purpose and, you know, courage, but, but empathy, right? The, the most, I mean, I'm looking at you and that's, you know, of course, what you bring to what you do here when you, when you have these conversations, you're empathetic, right? You make a connection with people, uh, really being able to look at people and kind of understand what drives them and what motivates them and where you might be able to help them and where you might be able to excite them. To me, that's got to be as much a part of technology and design, good design, as as any of the sort of underlying, you know, uh, technological capabilities. You just reminded me of uh, there was a group. This was uh, maybe about five, five, eight years back uh, when Facebook first had their like smattering of bad publicity due to privacy issues. And they had this one startup, I think they were called Diaspora or Mm -hmm. something like that. And basically their tagline was, we're going to develop a Facebook that you don't have to worry about, you know, privacy concerns. And it just, and and like so many people were hyping it up. There there were, there were featured articles in them in, in, in tech magazines. It just never, it just never happened. Yeah. And I, what I'm thinking is, uh, what you just said of people, like to say like oh yeah i would love uh, everyone was in an uproar or maybe in the, the the media had inflated it of uh yeah we do need a social media platform that really um uh provides better security and uh better privacy than what facebook does no it, it probably the, the i mean if it everyone really really wanted that they would have flocked to it but everyone was more like oh you know I'm already so entrenched in Facebook. I'm already invested so much in it. It's a lot easier to use. All my friends, culturally and socially, it that's that's what social media is. And it's tough to break that trend, man. Sometimes, especially if you've got a behemoth like a Google or a Facebook, or in th- in this case, even Netflix has its own uh, you know phrase of what uh, what to do. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? It, it becomes part of pop culture. Yeah, and it's very hard to uh, break out. Uh, non-technology hey can i have a kleenex everyone knows what that means you know it's that and and it's a tissue but here it's it they're so synonymous with what this particular thing is in culture that it's really hard to 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 break it out of it yeah break out of that so same thing vhs versus Betamax, that, that, that's really old school but um i think the long story short of that was that Betamax was the superior technology VHS had the better marketing or whatever it was way back in the day. So tough, man. But again, you know, VHS, uh, you know, the way, the way it spins out, they, uh, I mean, at that time, now everything is delivered, you know, through applications, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a little different model and pricing isn't as, as much of a consideration, but, but back at the time that, um, VHS and beta were, were sort of in, in, in competition. They were both sort of in play. Uh, VHS was able to um, uh, basically make their format available to a wider group of manufacturers, which brought the price down and allowed them to uh, get into a lot more people's homes. There you go. So if, if you needed, if you needed a, a device that, that I remember at the time, because it was, this is the single greatest, invention of all time we all felt that you know you can you can record tv there Mm -hmm. was like nothing like it uh but um they were able to get those those decks into a lot more homes because i mean i remember you know you would go and spend 229 dollars and you could get a decent you know uh vhs deck that did everything you wanted it to and uh a beta 
though though it was better picture and, and smaller tapes and you know it, it it had you know uh a lot of advantages you were paying over four hundred dollars right mm-hmm. in some cases five or six hundred dollars and mm-hmm. for a lot of people for a lot of people at that time that was a deciding factor and so because the home suddenly became flooded with these vhs tapes and then you suddenly got this brick and mortar distribution channel called blockbuster that you know was spreading like you know weeds throughout the country you know what they did was they responded to the market the demand was for vhs uh so it it, it was almost inevitable after a certain point Mm -hmm. i mean it was it was much like windows where when windows didn't control the hardware and the software they basically made the software available to a number of hardware manufacturers which brought the price way down for the average consumer which got those those machines into their home which gave microsoft a huge advantage as a sort of software provider at that point because they had you know 10 to 1 uh Mm -hmm. you know users over over uh uh, Apple and you know the, the the Mac operating system, which was far superior. Yes, you know it was mm-hmm. it was far superior. But but uh, y- you know Microsoft took a different approach. They opened it up. They you know they made it available to a, a, a wider range of developers, and so you have more developers developing for for Windows, and you're going to get you know more products and better results. And before you know it. You know, the developers were disdainful of Mac because they're saying, you know what, it, it's it's like it's a toy. It's a kid's platform. Right. If you want to be a grown up, you know, you need you need to work in Windows. Right. Yeah. And uh, that became the truth of it. But focusing on your end users includes a lot of things. It's not just the technology. It's mm-hmm. the whole experience. It's mm-hmm. it's is this priced right is this something that they look at and they see value? You know, you're, t- you're talking about like people won't get off Facebook. You know, do they see the value in getting off of Facebook and going somewhere else? Well, you know, people are, are practical, right? They're going to weigh things. You know, if you have everyone you know on Facebook, that's a lot to give up. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to give up. You know, you have to really, you have to really reach a certain level of commitment, a certain level of outrage, you know, kind of high dudgeon with, with, you know, your, your, anger at, at the at the um, security breaches. And, you know, I think Facebook did just enough with sort of the mea culpa tour that Zuckerberg did to, to give people a reason to stay on. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I, I, I hate that they did all that. And of course, you know, they, yep. they you know, they, they undermine democracy and everything else, but at least they're making it safe now so I can stay, you know, and, and they've done a good job of, I think, giving people some reason to believe. Of course, now, because they've changed their model, uh, you know, they can't print money quite the way they used to. You know, uh, Europe has introduced some very strict standards that's costing them quite a lot to, you know, sort of change their infrastructure to meet these standards. Uh, They're... Uh, Do you hear about their recent earnings? Go for it. That's right where I was headed. You know, their earnings reflected that. They they are in a much more competitive environment now where the margins are much lower and you're not going to get these crazy quarter over quarter earnings and investors were running away in droves. Poof. Yeah, $125 in market value. I made up... In my personal race with Mark Zuckerberg for, you know, the who between the two of us is the wealthiest, I made up $17 billion on him in one week. That's another way to look at it. So, so 
I, I can only assume <laughs> that, I, that I, I personally am doing very well. Yes. Because if I'm able to make up seventeen billion on anyone in just a couple of days, obviously I'm I'm doing something right. Yes, you 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 can say, well, at least uh, you know this weekend I may have stubbed my toe, but at least at least I didn't lose a hundred plus billion in in a poof. <laughs> well, the company did. Oh, yeah, geez. he and he personally lost almost twenty billion. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. All of that moving forward with this technology, and you threw out that uh, specific term of a skilled worker, highly skilled worker, actually. Mm -hmm. And it brings us into this new um, type of topic. It was the one that, like, when I started listening to it, uh, universal basic income, Mm -hmm. I immediately started thinking of you. Because I know we started uh, getting into, like, uh, data-driven sports Mm -hmm. uh, on the the last podcast. And with a lot of data um, comes new culture shifts, obviously in, in the way we approach sports. I know with all the data that that's been coming out, I'm not going to, uh, there's a, it's going to be real hard for me to, uh, for Warren to convince me to get him into peewee football, et et cetera, et cetera, with all the studies on CTE. But that was only because if we were able to, they now have all that data, especially when they didn't have it and transitioning into this other topic of something like a universal basic income, something that hasn't been quote tried before something that yeah. is uh, a, tr- a trend breaker especially in this day and age especially with automation especially with all this uh, new technology especially with an influx of uh, of a bunch of highly skilled workers did you, ever, you did you give any thought of that or whatever you want to throw at it oh it's a loaded question you know but this, this is why we do this 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 is going to be this is going to be <laughs> something i'm i'm already seeing some Disturbing trends. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're in such a, a kind of a contentious place uh, in our society right now, uh, where um, people tend to look at other people not with, you know, not with empathy, not with sort of the um, default position of how can I help you, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, basically, what's wrong with you? What you know? Mm-hmm. What what is it about you that that has made you, you know, where you are and, and there's disdain and there's, you know, there, there's, there's open hostility. Um, I have already started to see in some posts and some memes, you know, people mocking the concept of universal basic income before we've really had a chance to even understand the thinking behind it. And, uh, before we've had a chance to do again, to your point about, uh, you know, analysis and, you know, using data to, to really help tell the story before we've, we've had a chance to see what the results of this would be, right? We need to run some experiments. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say that we are getting closer to a time where automation can put us in a place where let's say we have, you know, let's, project a little bit and say we have 8 billion people in the world mm-hmm. you know not all 8 billion people will be required to keep things moving forward right in the past you know our our world population was always sized at at a level where you know basically everybody needed to be out there working to move things forward to get things done right as societies developed as you know, different economies emerged around the world. There were always jobs for people. But especially in some of the more developed countries right now, we could see a, a, a future, and not even that far out, where 
there just isn't the need. There just is not the need for everybody to be working all the time. Now, this presents us with some really dire potential scenarios, right? Uh, you know, the most obvious of which is, let's go back to the beginning of our conversation, having a sense of purpose. Yeah. There is nothing more important in a person's life than feeling a connection to what they do, right? I, I, I'm sorry. I know, you know, we live in an age of, you know, um, uh, you know, television shows about excessive wealth and, you know, kind of an obsession with income and, you know, everybody can lease a, a Lexus or a Mercedes. But as much as there's, there's this sort of constant marketing push to make it about possessions and, and what you have, a fundamental principle of like human existence is that if you are getting up in the morning to do something in service to others, you're going to be a happier person. Purpose. There's, it's purpose. It's purpose. Now, if, if that benefits you financially and you do very well, that's wonderful. You take care of your family. But I would argue that, you know, you're far better off scraping by and feeling really connected to the work you do than having, you know, tons of personal resources and feeling, you know, lost and, 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 you know, like, like you just contribute nothing. Mm. Right. So let's, let's now just imagine a scenario where you have thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds, you know, ultimately millions and millions of people who are, are either working at jobs that are so basic and so menial that there is, it, it, it's a very tough connection for them to say this matters, right? Or you have people who don't have work at all. I mean, I know right now we have very high employment, but I mean, how much of that employment is in work that allows people to really make that connection? I mean, I get it personally, you know, if, if, if somebody's working two or three low income jobs to support their family, they can say, well, my family is the reason I do this, but there's gotta be something in the work. If we deprive people of that, we are, we are really doing them a disservice. And for them, for us to then turn around and judge them is, is really cruel right? I mean, we, we all have to have the same, we have to have the same advantages. So universal basic income, I, I, I mean, I, I think we're looking at a scenario, I'm not sure it's, it's the answer. I, I don't know. I think we have to test it. But the thinking is, let's give people enough, like let's provide education, let's provide just sort of a safety net income to allow them to kind of go out and engage and find things in their life. Now, will there be people who will say, eh, you know what, I'm just going to sit on my ass and watch Netflix, right? Of course. Of course. And those people will be held up as an example for the people who oppose universal basic income. Notice, Warren, that, uh, sorry, notice yeah. he, he said Netflix and not Hulu. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. It's, you know, <laughs> Hulu's doing very well as well. But, but you know, I, I, think, I think what we're going to have to do is look, again, we'll have data, we'll have data scientists analyzing those data. Will this be allowing people to move from what were traditionally sort of the menial jobs into the kind of the knowledge worker segment? Will we allow people to get skills as coders? Will we allow people to get skills as, you know, uh, uh, social, you know, social workers as, you know, uh, uh, you know, people who are coming in and doing the kind of work that, that, 
they, they can really connect with, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, teachers, I mean, we need a lot of teachers. I, I think this is the challenge. And I think, I think universal basic income presents an opportunity for that. Uh, and it's so easy to pick at because people will look at it as a handout. But uh, if, if, we're, if we're taking away all the potential for, for earning uh, in a meaningful way, maybe this isn't a bad idea. I thought of this topic because I was listening to a, a podcast with a, um, a, he's actually going to be a U.S. Uh, presidential candidate coming up. His name is Andrew Yang, and uh, he's his platform is on universal basic income. Mm-hmm. So this is actually you know being proposed a lot sooner. Yeah. It's 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 present. Yeah. It's it's here now. And uh, his, as far as like uh, one of the top questions. Oh, well, how are you going to pay for this? And his proposal, uh, let me see if I, I have my index card here, mm-hmm. is uh, uh, VAT. Uh, what was that? Something, something tax. Value added tax. There we go. Value added tax at half the European level. Yeah. Where he says that uh, basically this uh, universal basic income, it's going to be about $1,000 on top of between the ages of 18 to 65 of no matter what, just an extra $1,000. Yeah. And... Uh, what is uh, needed for that is an extra 1.5 trillion on top of current uh, uh, social programs and welfare, et cetera, et cetera. So there's no yeah. cutting out of anything else in order to get it. So it's going to be a, a value added tax. And and I did a quick search of that. I think that value uh, added tax rates in in Europe, uh, Luxembourg, what was that like 17 percent or something yeah. right now? So. It's it's on the table now. There's an actual uh, uh, U.S. presidential candidate that's going to be coming up running on this specific platform. So, and I agree with you absolutely in the sense of like, we do have to start talking about this now because coming around the corner is that problem of automation. Yeah. And you throwing out the term of something like a highly skilled worker versus uh, skilled worker versus because... At a, at a certain point, you have to start looking at uh, uh, certain jobs where even as you said, oh, yeah, un, uh, unemployment is is down. Employment is up, as, yeah. as you said. So at that point, uh, I know when I was walking in, uh, we're going to have a barbecue after this, folks. When we were when we were out shopping and, and uh, getting uh, all the food and chips and everything ready, I would say there was only two cashiers there. Everything else automated checkout. Yeah. Yeah, you, when we went to uh, a, a restaurant, we went to Bear Burger in in Montclair. You yeah. sat down, and everything is on. Like you could look at the picture on on those, yeah. on those iPads and start punching them punching them in there. So and driverless cars. Look at that. Oh, a, a huge one. That's actually That's a huge one. And I would say, what's the percentage as far as like truck drivers? That's a huge um, job market out there. So. When you when you have all these new jobs coming in with this new technology that pretty much phases out this certain skill level of, yeah. of work, how do how do we how do we react to that? Yeah. So, and and you know you you bring up of course the all the the trends that people are looking at when they're talking about things like universal basic income. So, the thing is, we can say and 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 many uh, uh, many economists point this out. Whenever there is a massive disruption in in uh, sort of the the uh, economic sphere, right? In in terms of like manufacturing and production and efficiencies, and uh, you know they say jobs are wiped out, 
but they're always replaced by a new segment, right? So there's, there's always something else. But the thing is, that's been the case. But what we can say for sure is that in the coming world, it's almost unquestionably going to be the kinds of jobs that require some training, right? We're, what we're not going to be doing is, you know, replacing a farm job with a factory job where you can, you can basically get somebody up to speed pretty quickly. You know, farming is a lot of manual labor. There's a lot to learn. Obviously these are, these mm-hmm. are very, you know, skillful people, but the, it, it's the kind of thing where, you know, you can get somebody in there you can start to work right away. You can start to contribute right away. Even if you're, you know, you're, you're still learning a lot about farming. You know, when you get a factory job, there's still a lot of things people, you know, they, they know a lot about the operations and everything, but for the most part, you can get them in there and start having them contribute pretty quickly. Now, what we replace the current job market with, I mean, if, if Uber becomes all automated, Lyft becomes all automated, if, if, uh, factory work becomes automated, if restaurant work becomes automated, do we have something that we can take these workers and move them into that they can just start to produce, start to contribute immediately the way they were able to in like a fast food market? What's the new quote entry level job? What's the new quote entry level job? Perfectly said, right? Perfectly said. Now, I would argue that the entry level job in the next phase is going to require training. I mean, it's going to require computer training. It's going to require, you know, the ability to code. It's going to require, you know, the ability to to work with complex interfaces and to understand something about the processes behind them, right? Uh, I don't mean that people have to be able to go in and build them, but they're going to mm-hmm. need to be able to work with them. Mm-hmm. And as much as we can try to create, you know, experiences which are intuitive and, and and basically allow people to get up to speed much faster. I mean, even in teaching someone to code right now, you don't actually have to get down into like entering digits. I mean, we're we're essentially teaching kids to code by by moving blocks of code. Right. So the 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 block, the capability has already been developed. Now they're becoming creative and combining these these essentially these attributes, these Lego bricks in different ways to build something. Right. But building strong principles and foundations. Exactly. But that's still training. Yes. Right. Yes. It's still training. So if that becomes the entry level of the new world, we still need to provide people a way to get there. Mm. So. I mean, I, I know that when we're talking about universal basic income, we, we are talking about giving them the opportunity to uh, sustain themselves until they can get that kind of training. I think hand in hand with this, we have to be talking about access to education, mm-hmm. right, for everyone. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, the student debt problem is... Uh, it, 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 it's a national crisis. You know, these for-profit schools and, you know, the current administration under Betsy DeVos, you know, the, 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 the administration sort of uh, commitment to for-profit schools and, and kind of taking off some of the, you know, the restrictions, the legal restrictions they had on, on the predatory practices that are leading a lot of people to, you know, graduate with, with debt that they can never pay off. I mean, this, this has to, this has to be solved. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, we, we, we cannot, we cannot make a buck off of everything. I mean, if we want to invest in our people, you know, universal basic income is a great way to start. I think 
more so than for just the income it provides, but as a way to change how we think about our populace. We're investing in them. And, and the more we can develop them, the more we can turn them into, you know, a, a con competitive uh, contributing body that has that sense of purpose, that has that sense of, you know, having a stake in, in, in the future of the country, the stronger we're going to be. If, if we don't, then the next thing will happen. And the next thing that happens might not be us. Right. And, and that's what concerns me. I mean, remaining competitive is is the opposite of what I see as one of the current trends, which is, you know, this is what we've done before. So let's just go back to doing that. And that's not how you stay competitive. You stay competitive by always examining new opportunities. You understand where things are going. You know, we have a lot of data now. We, you know, we have the ability to look at that and help that guide our direction. But we need to have the courage to do that and let it tell us you know, we may head in a direction that we haven't been before, right? And, you know, the, the kind of obsession with, with, you know, with this sort of, I'm, I'm not even sure it's a real history, but this sort of perceived history of, of our greatness and, you know, this, this sort of, you know, tribalism, you know, this restriction on, you know, bringing in new ideas and, and new opportunities, mm -hmm. it, 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 it will put us at a competitive disadvantage, which will shift the landscape really suddenly and and soon and and that's what concerns me you just made me think of maybe like let's say 10 15 20 years ago oh geez of like just someone who could code a website mm -hmm. just design in just html yeah. or something that was the job that yeah. was considered highly skilled that was considered oh my god you have you know wow you can you you have a website whoa what is yeah. that and then fast forward, you know, 10, 15, 20 years to now. And it, now it's, it's what my, my, my kid did that as his, yeah. you know, like second grade project or, or something. They just clicked on something and it generates the whole thing. No, I was thing. thinking literally your kid who's upstairs taking a nap <laughs> yeah. was, is doing He's that. making a website right yeah, now. <laughs> and so I think what, what, what is maybe there's a semblance of, 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 uh, old school people just being insulted that well, wait, wait, my job I needed in, I needed to uh, get a bachelor's and a master's and a, yeah. et cetera and a doctorate in order to do this thing. And now all of a sudden you're just going to uh, uh, in, in, in the school system, just pump them out like a, like a factory and they're going to do my job. What are you talking about? You know, but it's, it's eventually that quote, highly skilled has become skilled, which is just going to become entry level. I mean, that's what you would expect if, you make that technology good enough. If the if the teaching practices, if the principles are good enough, if the data is all there, where you figure out how to teach this to people, I'm sure everyone ever since day one was trying to figure out how to teach programming to to kids. Yeah, and I'm sure they've got a thousand a million ways how not to teach it now. Yeah. But they're getting better and better and better at doing it to the point that. I mean, you, I, you see, uh, I, I was, I was joking around, uh, I would see, uh, after, you know, the iPad touch and everything came out, I would see toddlers sit down with a magazine or a newspaper and they look at a picture and they would try to do the zoom in or the swipe gesture on it. And, and they would yeah. just hold up the magazine almost with like a crying look on their face. Like this is it's, broken. It's broken. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, yeah. they're, they're, that's how quick they start adapting to. Yeah new uh technology where you know the the other joke is uh i get invited over to um um 
uh, my in-laws house. Oh, okay. Hey, can you fix the computer for us? We have to like, you know what I mean? That's right. You're a computer guy. You're, yeah. you're, you're the, you're the computer guy versus yeah. like, eventually that's going to be, it's going to get even more advanced where I'm going to ask my son like, Hey, can you, can you sync my VR, you know, <laughs> teleporter, time jump, whatever, because you know, I'm not teleporting. I don't know where I'm going to end up. So, but do you think it's, maybe that's the trend that it's, it's going to start heading in that direction of the technology gets, there's like a bleeding edge part and there's a part that's just widely adapted where just quote becomes common knowledge. And now that's going to be taught to everyone else in order to advance everything. Well, you know, the fact that you're talking about where we're headed directionally and, and you're talking about universal basic income, I think you're, you're piecing together, um, key elements of, of what we are going to have to consider more and more as we move forward. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and, and it's, uh, it, it's really about, uh, probably the, some of the most compelling things we're going to have to solve as we move forward are the ethical, uh, implications, the ethical questions that will arise from the implications of technology. So what, what I mean is this, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, we're introducing automation. The pace of automation is going to increase. You know, there's, there's, you know, you're in computers. There's this concept called Moore's law, right? Which mm-hmm. is that like every seven years, you know, computing power essentially doubles, right? Um, and this is, you know, proven remarkably true over the years, right? But that's with essentially a binary system, right? And, and you know, we, we talked earlier about Microsoft and where they're headed with AI, but one of the things that, you know, they're, they're talking about as well is quantum computing. And uh, I am not a physicist, so I'm not going to pretend that I understand the inner workings of it, but essentially what you're doing with with a quantum computing is you are talking about storing data in a completely different paradigm, right? These qubits, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, essentially uh, uh, quantum states can coexist, right? And in, in, so you're, you're creating almost layers uh, of information that can exist in, you know, one quantum state or another at the same time and overlayer them. And you are creating the possibility of increasing computing power, computing speed exponentially to the point where uh, Nadella gave a, an example. He said, when a true quantum computer is developed, like if you, if you sort of thought ahead to what it would be, what it could do, you could take a quantum-based computer and put it against our most secure um, uh it basically, uh, it, our, our highest security uh, system, mm-hmm. right? Our, our, our highest uh, computer security system. Mm-hmm. A system that it would take a standard, powerful, binary-based computer one billion years to crack. A quantum computer would be able to crack it in a matter of minutes. So you, you are talking about uh, a scale of, of uh, solutioning, a scale of computing power, which... It, it, you know, listen. I don't want to start to get into like oh, you know spirit, you into spiritual stuff, right? Whatever you got. But in that. terms of almost any problem we would want to solve, in terms of almost anything we would want to accomplish, there's almost nothing off the table, mm-hmm. right? It means that the pace of innovation 
it, it's it's not really any it's not limited anymore mm-hmm. i mean it's it's almost as soon as we can conceive of something and design it we we can achieve it because the the computers themselves will be able to provide solutions right if we're running a a truly functioning ai backed by a quantum computing capability it can almost be like Here's the problem we want to solve. Mm-hmm. We'll come back after lunch and we'll have the solution. Yep. Right. So I, I had this conversation with my son. We were recently out in, in Colorado and we were doing a hike. Uh, we were up on the trail and we got talking about, you know, computers and what they mean to people. And uh, what I suggested to him was, you know, we may within his lifetime reach a point where anything is possible. Now, I know you say, well, anything is possible. And you still think about it as like, oh, we walk around with, you know, like some sci-fi movie with, you know, like screens in front of us. No, no. I'm talking about like where the human body really does become, we would think of it differently because it would be a state of consciousness. It would be like, where does our state of consciousness reside? Does, are we tied to a physical form or Mm -hmm. can we literally take and project that state of consciousness into any experience any environment anywhere at any moment Mm. right so it it uh it gets to the point where you know it's almost godlike power right where Mm -hmm. where the experience that we can present is is virtually anything we can imagine so then it becomes a question of if we can do this, should we? Mm. Right. So, what is what is it that makes us essentially human? Mm. What is it that guides our our lives here? What is it that gives us purpose? And we need to look at the implications of what we can do because those are limitless now, and we need to essentially provide uh, oversight to that. We we need to make decisions that add value to our lives rather than decisions which inadvertently can uh, take away from what makes our lives important. I, I think that anyone at this point would be able to say, walking around a city, that whereas phones are a marvelous tool and contribute a lot of value, they have taken away something essential from our lives. Right? We, we, we have people who are, are no longer experiencing what's around them. They're almost already in a virtual state. Now think how minuscule that virtual state is compared to what we could offer like that with with you know the next uptick or the uptick after that in mm-hmm. computing power right uh I, I mean people talk about the matrix but but even the matrix still assumed a world experience within a virtual experience. I mean, you knew Kung Fu, right? You could jump off of buildings, but it was still a person jumping off of a building. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what if there was like no adherence to a physical state? I mean, what if what if we really now could... That's what Neo was eventually able to do at the end of the movie. Exactly, yeah. right? What if flying what, around? And... Exactly, but what if but but what if it now was like no longer a physical form? I mean, what if what if we're we're able to you know, move into areas of experience that mm-hmm. are beyond anything that we can currently imagine. So, yeah, yes. we're into the, like, think of a color that doesn't exist kind of realm, right? No, this so is, go ahead. If, if we are heading there, at what point might we unwittingly sell out our very nature? Mm-hmm. 
right? So up until now, it's been religion that sort of guided us. Now, we haven't done a great job because everybody's sort of invested in their own version of that. And then, you know, it, it's like we, we fight wars over that and everything. Mm-hmm. But but the idea is we want to provide a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning, right? Mm-hmm. If if we control all the cards, if we, if we are suddenly in the position of being able able to make all decisions and we're not, you know, sort of like saying, well, after you die, then, then you're going to get it all handed to you. You're going to get it all figured out and you can do anything. What if anything happens now? What if this Uh becomes like anything right now? Uh, I, I, you know, this is what we ended up talking about. And I, I, I said to him, I said, you know, maybe the most important job in the next generation is, is technology ethicist, right? Being able to guide that thinking. I mean, let me give you an example. We, we know that across the human population, there are a certain number of people, and you know, I think we've, we've spoken about this in the past, you know, they're, they're born with tendencies that are unfortunate, right? They want to do harm to others, right? Like whatever form that takes, you know, whether it's against kids or women or you know, anyone, you know, they, 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 they have a compulsion to harm. Like what if we were in a position to provide them an experience where they were doing all of that harm and it was virtual? Is that is that something? I mean, yep. you know, is is yep. are are we committing a sin, mm-hmm. right? For them to think that they mm-hmm. are experiencing that that that's real, or is that humanitarian, right? Do we allow them to live a life that they would have never been able to live otherwise? Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I throw this out there without a point of view on which is right because I got to tell right. you, you know, I I think as you know, as a father, you know, as a person, you know, there there's like a part of me that that thinks like that would be abhorrent, right? Providing, you know, uh, you know, people who want to commit acts of violence uh, a venue where they are in a world where, you know, by every measure they are indulging this without consequence. Mm-hmm. You know, but then again, there's also a part of me that says they didn't choose. Like nobody gets to say, yeah, I think I'm going to be a pervert. I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to be a pariah. I'm going to be hunted down. I'm going to be, you know, just reviled by all of society because I have this compulsion that I cannot, I cannot get past. Mm-hmm. Are they to be pitied? You know, do we have an opportunity here to, to address that? And, uh, you know, it, it's the same ethical question that gets into sort of the manipulation of our genetics, right? Right. So if we could, if we could identify what creates that sort of temperament, you know, the chromosomal arrangement that, that creates that, do we eliminate that? Do we start to, do, do we start to, you know, move out of the sort of like crapshoot of, you know, you, you know, two people get together and they have a kid and, you know, you see what you get to, you know what, we need to start, you know, manipulating all of this. These are ethical questions. They're greater good questions. They're not morality, right? Morality is right and wrong. You know, morality is, you know, the, t- the Ten Commandments or, or, you know, whatever version of that, you know, you, you have within your own sort of religious structure. Okay. You know, these, these are the things you do and these are the things you do not do, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're drawing the line on them. You know, ethics is always about navigating those waters between things where, you know, there, there are two views of it. Like, it, it, are you serving a greater good? You know, the, the, the traditional ethical question is, if I swerve to avoid killing, potentially killing 10 people, but I'm guaranteed to kill one person, do I swerve? Because there's a small chance that those 10 people might live, but there's a good chance they might not, but I'm definitely going to kill that one person. That's an ethical question, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that's where you really have to wrestle with it, right? Yep. And I think... 
that's what technology is going to present us with more and more. I think universal basic income is, is the beginning of a point of view mm -hmm. in the ethical realm around the pro progression of technology and it's how, how it's changing our world. You know, we have principles that have to do with hard work and going out and doing a good day's, you know, job for, for a day's pay and having that sense of satisfaction that's born of that. What happens in a world where that is either less important or not even available to us? Then how do we address this? What, you know, what stake do we put in the ground around supporting people? And, and that to me is what that is. That's the first step down that road to say, we need to have an ethical debate around this. And we need to, we need to take steps that are going to be different from anything we've encountered before. We absolutely do. Just because now you're talking about, um, we're going beyond what human is biologically, physiology, what we're, what we're meant to do. And the best example I can think of is just uh, one of our basic things that everyone has had in life, which is stress. Yeah. And the stress that we have now and the way we react to it is still the same um, firmware that has not been updated that still reacts in the same way uh, based off of its original intent, but it's been updated. It hasn't been updated and we're reacting to different stimuli. In other words, stress back then when we were hunter-gatherer it was hey scarcity of food oh i didn't yeah. i didn't kill this rabbit or or uh deer uh, i'm gonna starve oh uh-oh uh, and the cold is coming so yeah. stress happens and then when stress happens your body reacts holds on to fat you uh, uh cortisol or whatever starts yeah. building up in into your body that same reaction still happens but now our stress stimuli is different Oh, um, uh, I missed the. I'm gonna miss the latest uh, episode of Game of Thrones or or something. Oh no, my sports team is about to lose, okay. and that that same thing happens, you know. So that's just a sign of like, it's just biologically, physio physiologically, things inside us that are human that you talk about. <laughs> You know, living in, in, in different consciousnesses, uh, you, 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 you talk about um, eventually getting to a point where, hey, maybe do we let someone virtually indulge in either their vice or their pleasure or, or yeah. whatever it is? I mean, here's your, the greatest example of, of social media. Uh, are we meant to be this connected, hyper-connected? Yeah. You know, we talked about Dunbar's number. Was it 250 people that we can hold in our head that we can, we can uh, actively recognize someone's yeah. face or so someone's personality and then after that it's like uh you, ju you just kind of become mush and you're just blended in, in in you're just this mush in my mind yeah now so um and then whenever because because I, I i've talked to uh, co-workers and friends about um greater good as as well too I, I i've heard that term thrown around a lot and i agree in principle i agree with it but the tough part is when you when you add the human element who decides what is greater good exactly you know who who draws that boundary of this it, it falls in here and and if uh, if it doesn't meet this requirement it doesn't fall into there and then when it doesn't fall into there what about those people that you know are part of that is it just not part of this quote greater good you know so it gets tough at that point yeah it, it gets really tough and we're running into this Due to the acceleration of technology towards, you just blew my mind away though <laughs> with with all this talk about quantum computing because it, 
yeah, what if we head into that direction of limitless potential? And then, you know, I'm going to throw out that cliche that you hear in movies all the time. Uh, uh, with, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. You know, and there, there was, uh, I, I would say there was probably even something even, uh, you could go, you, you use the example of, of someone who would do a lot of harm. How about an example where um, I, I read somewhere where in the U.S. military, they actually have an IQ requirement mm-hmm. of if uh, less than 85, sorry, we can't accept you. And of course, the military is always looking for yeah. for people to recruit. So even they, the government, the, the, the military, where they're always looking for people, they've deemed that there's a certain level of IQ that if you... If we take you on, you actually do not possess uh, the skills nor the ability to learn skills that would be uh, um, um, productive enough to, for, to to be in the military. So what do you do about, you know, the, if you talk about the bell curve, what do you talk about people who are just unfortunately, um, it could be genetic, it could be biological, where depending on what society deems as productive, or deems as acceptable. You just, you just happen to be born with, without that, you know? Yeah. So then that, so then it gets tough there and maybe with technology that, that could help improve that. And I'm really, is, is Jack a computer guy, your son? Is he a computer guy or? No, no, <laughs> not really. I mean, he's, 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 uh, he's very digital as, mm-hmm. as all kids are, but, but he's thoughtful and, uh, it's cool that you're having this talks with him. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's 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 he thinks about he th- he connects things, right? So you know, he's looking at at the things in his life and he's he's aware of how things were a while back cuz he's he's uh, pretty much a historian. Uh and uh you know, he he sees how fast things have 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 changed. And so it's it's natural for him to to ask, you know, what's next? And I think this is the question we're all asking ourselves. And I mean, even if somebody's listening to me and going, you know, he's totally full of horseshit, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're never going to reach that point. Fine. I'm not, I'm not sitting here and, and making, you know, prognostications about what's, as, as what's they next. watch, as they binge watch on Netflix and uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not prognosticating. All I'm mm-hmm. saying is that the one thing I can say with certainty is that we will rapidly reach a point where we can solve things basically meaning give ourselves options that we could never have imagined now now what those options will be as i say you know i think that that will be determined largely by the questions we ask the things we ask for the things we go after but we'll be able to solve things much more quickly our physical environment will matter less. Uh, I I am sure of this. It it will be uh, you know I mean you know we're we're talking about climate change and and you know kind of our commitment to to our our environment and our planet, you know. But you know what if the cynical said that you know soon 
if, if, you know, your virtual experience is going to be more important than your physical experience, you know, do we, do we still care? I mean, will it matter if we're, our bodies are located on Mars or here or, you know, Mm. in, in a pod, Mm. right? They're working remotely. Yeah. So they're working remotely. Thank you. (laughs) But, but whatever it is, whether you, you, you believe we'll never get to that point or you believe that we'll get halfway there, that the fact is we will soon be entertaining situations that are unprecedented in human history. I love that you bring up sort of our our basic anatomy, right? How we react to things was was predicated on um, survival. And, you know, I referenced tribalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that that's as much a part of our makeup as anything else. Yeah, Listen, it, it allowed us to survive, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this ability to recognize about 250 people, that's a tribe. Right, our connection with that tribe that kept us alive, right? Uh, that that's that's being played out on a on a world stage now, where where you know that sort of behavior that we, that we associate with tribalism, that the attack on one is an attack on all. You know, you see that playing out with leaders, and I'm going to pick. I'm not going to just pick on our president. I'm going to pick on somebody who, at least to a certain extent, seems to be you know sort of align different politically but like you take an elon musk right he they both use twitter i read i was reading an article on cnbc today about you know how uh, uh experts in sociology are looking at concepts of tribalism they were so i'm not going to pretend like i came up with this they were they were looking at both the supporters of trump and the supporters of musk and they wanted to recap really quickly why musk recently made the news Oh, because well, this was something yeah, that Jess so, and I were yeah, invested so, in. So he's, I mean, he's been using Twitter a lot and he's mm-hmm. been, he's been distressing his, uh, his, his, uh, um, his board with, with some of the things that have been impacting share prices. Like he's been going out there and he's been, uh, you know, tweeting things about production relative to the Tesla model three that, you know, you know, were premature or, or were kind of, you know, provocative and, and, you know, they, they want more uh, stability, but recently with the, the rescue of the, the kids, uh, who were trapped in that, that cave in Thailand, which was, man, if that's not the story of the year, I don't know what was that was, that was spectacular. There's, I've, there's a few times I've ever kind of like seen Jess in tears and, and oh. on, I would say the Thursday when the news came out of the Thai Navy seal dying, oh. that was one word. That's like in the movie where it's like you truly the, knew what the stakes I'm, were. Involved. You can see the goosebumps right here. Yeah. That's where we, right. we, we were, were like, we were preparing dinner and like we were preparing uh, it in silence. Cause as soon as we heard the news, we were just like, Whoa, oh my the, God. The, the whole thing played out. It was like this, this grand opera on a world mm-hmm. stage. It was, it was incredible. Uh, but uh, Musk, as we all know, kind of injected himself into the, into the whole process with, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's stupid except me and I'm going to come up with a, mm-hmm. I'm going to come up with a tiny sub and that's going to solve all the problems. Now, um, you know, maybe his motives were pure, but, uh, it, it, it felt, I think it felt to a lot of us at the beginning, like a bit of a stunt, like he was, you know, he, he wanted to horn in on this, this story and, and be the smartest guy in the room once again. Mm-hmm. And certainly, uh, one of the, um, and I forget the gentleman's name. He's a British uh, cave diver who who had uh, devoted a lot of his time to the rescue and became a core part of the team. Uh, you know, Musk and his team put together this little little bitty sub, and you know they shipped it off. And this this one cave diver said, um, "It's not practical. It's not going to work. It'll never work." And uh, Musk, you know, tweeted out basically, 
you know, calling him like a pedophile. Uh, which which came really came out of if it was if there was something came farther out of nowhere which is which, something yeah. got farther out of left field it was it was that which, so, which it was which, like wait what yeah which again <laughs> just showed you know kind of you know what the downside of these 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 social platforms because it end it basically ends up being impulse. like yeah it, but what it's like it's it's like it, it'd be like if you took two drivers who got into a fender bender and started cursing each other out but you projected it across the entire world mm-hmm. right the things they were they would be saying like it, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous right but the point of this this story this article was that when when musk does this when when trump does this right they it, it can be the things they say can be completely without basis in fact they can be you know demonstrably untrue but it does serve to sort of solidify the belief among their supporters that these are the visionaries and the rest of the world, you know, it's us against them. And the fact that, you know, everybody is, is, you know, they can do no wrong. Yeah. But, but the, you know, sort of the whirlwind of activity and sort of denigrating and attacking and, and, and holding them account, trying to hold them accountable for what they say that, that almost serves among their, their, their supporters as a way of, uniting them and solidifying them right and again it's it's the term they use is tribalism right Mm. it's this this is us you know it's us against the world and and you are you know you you don't get it right i Mm -hmm. I mean it it it's uh and we we know people are capable of this you know Mm. every religion almost challenges their followers to accept something which is 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 outrageous to an extent right sports teams sports teams right (laughs) but but uh Again, you know, we we have yeah. we have this sort of basic, we have, we have this sort of basic uh, mental and emotional framework that allowed us to survive for eons in in a variety of hostile situations, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we now have a world that's very different. And you know, we're we're kind of running smack into this this notion. I mean, when you're talking about you know nationalism versus globalism. It, this this is really almost a tribal kind of uh, conflict, mm-hmm. right? It's it's do we rely on the things that have gotten us this far, which is to stick together and screw you guys? You know we're going to take care of our own. Versus we've moved into a world where you know there's very little chance any of us is going to be eaten by a saber toothed tiger. So do we really need to move on to the next phase of humanity, which is to view us all as an extended family? Um, you start to look at nuance. You start to look at nuance, right? So, uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and give my, my, uh, opinions on where we should head. I don't even know if I have opinions on, mm-hmm. on all of these issues, but what I'm saying it's a lot is to, it's a lot to go over. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot to go over, but what I'm saying is that we need to have ethical guidance, but mm. again, it needs to be informed, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't somebody going up there and going, well, I think I don't. I really, I, I like those, those are the words that make me cringe every time. Well, I think it, it's it, we we got to get out of that mm-hmm. because we got a lot. We got goddamn, we have a lot of opinions. I mean, it's great, you know, it, it, to a certain extent, but then you reach a point where it's just noise, right? We need we need to test things. We need to study things. We need to we need to derive data. We need to look at them and we need to see what's really working because you know what? You have an opinion. I have an opinion. One of us could be totally, you know, full of it. 
we, we really need to just understand what's, what's true, what's valuable, what will help us, what will move us forward. And once we sort of understand that, then we need to bring in an ethical layer mm-hmm. across all of this where we say, we see where we headed, we see where, where this is taking us. Is this a good direction or not? Right. And then opinion becomes important again. Right. Because it, it then opinion becomes something that we can actually have an opinion on. I mean, I, I don't care if somebody has an opinion on whether climate change is real or not, because climate change is real and we have all the evidence of it. So somebody saying, well, I don't believe that. OK, fine. You know, that's not that's not the conversation anymore. Right. That's happening. Mm-hmm. But then if we get to the point where we say, you know what, climate change has 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 affected all of us to this point and now we can go down this path or this path and these are going to take us to very different places depending on which road we choose now that opinion becomes important again Mm -hmm. because now we're getting into the ethics of it like you know if if that same person who denied it or supported it or whatever suddenly comes back and says you know what what you're proposing really doesn't fit with my view of what people are and what family is and what what our commitment to others should be now suddenly that's relevant because that's that's getting into the area of how we see ourselves and the world we want to live in mm-hmm. so now that opinion matters but that's mm. an opinion right it, it opinion you don't have opinions about fact you don't have opinions about you know things which are demonstrably true but you do have opinions about how we solve those things and where we go and the changes it might it might bring with it regarding the human condition and and to me that's that's the next big challenge is for all of us to get together civilly which could be a challenge but for all of us to get together and talk about the things that you know really matter in terms of the human condition and and how we we maintain that in the new world this is really cool that you bring up the you've you've stated over and over ethically because just where I had mentioned the whole kind of how our firmware with stress is now, I would say with the, a bunch of the technology and automation and data that they've gathered on people, you have to look no further than, uh, you know, the past election, Cambridge Analytica, yeah. where they have figured, they've basically hacked tribalism to turn it into money and results. And you're talking about that with the media as well, too, where they've through what you've said through what i've said this before what you've posted what pictures you put up with videos not only that but how fast you click that like button how fast you mm-hmm. immediately started typing back a comment to a view that you um opposed they've figured out ways to market specific advertising or posts or media to you to you're basically a puppet and they're the they've they, they know how to, and I'm just going to use this term loosely, they know how to trigger you. They know how to get the reaction that you yeah. want. Maybe in boxing, they knew, they figured out that like, hey, when I, when I move my shoulder like this, you twitch. Yeah. They know how to faint. They know, they've, they have you read. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably a great move to start looking at what are the ethics of you as a, as a not you, as as in people but as for certain media companies or for social media companies of 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 driving that type of reaction because 
oh, we're just doing it and, you know, they're just sharing pictures and posts. But, yeah, when you start piling that on top of each other and on top of each other, now you're driving elections. Now you're driving whole world decisions. Yeah. And and uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, this is this is just the big toe in the water when it mm. comes to. So, you know, we talk about AI. We talk about a social graph. Um this is nothing compared to where we will be in five years in terms of understanding sort of the triggers to human behavior and human opinion. Uh, and somebody's going to control that, right? Um, I, I truly do believe that, you know, the, the conversations that we're having now, we're bringing Zuckerberg, you mm. know, you know, to, to Washington, you know, he's, he's been to, Europe and and the EU and uh, you know more and more technology leaders I think are going to be you know called onto the carpet about you know the direction of this I mean we we are at a point as I said where uh, this is not going to be just something we solve now this needs to be an approach that we must as as, as a group, and as I say a group, I mean the whole world, right? We need to come up with, with guidance mm. and a set of principles for uh, how we move forward with technology that increasingly can, you know, press all the buttons and, and basically make anything happen. I mean, our, our, our elections are under attack. They are, you know, our top law enforcement says they are under attack currently. Uh, more and more, I think you have to start looking at, at uh, trends across major elections all over the world where the outcomes are extremely surprising, mm -hmm. right? They go against, you know, all the sort of traditional polling, right? It, it really does make you wonder. You can say, well, maybe you didn't really understand the people. Maybe, or maybe, you know, maybe there's just like somebody has figured this out and they're manipulating us yep you know our democracy the western alliance there's no question that that there is political there's political advantage to be gained uh among some segments of society uh you know in the far east located in moscow i'm not going to say who but you know there's there's it rhymes with uh uh but but the point the point is right that um listen he's 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 a he's a spy and he he manipulates things and that's what he does he's very mm -hmm. good at it and it's like are you going to tell him not to of course mm -hmm. he's you know he's he, this is this is this is how he's managed to you know uh gain and, and hold power i i think you know the the larger question again is is how do we how do we manage this not just for now because there is no now anymore i mean as soon as you mm -hmm. focus on now it changes mm -hmm. and it will change and it will change and it will change and um as i said you know that 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 computer that would take a billion years that will get replaced by a computer that will take seven minutes that that's coming and you know how do we how do we um solve for you know uh fixing something that that morphs so fast you, you know it it's it it's truly evanescent right it's like it's there it's gone you know it this sort of ephemeral world where the the state of things changes that quickly right so i think what we need to do is we need to start looking at a you know a an ethical framework 
right? We need to develop principles that guide us through this this environment and and i think that that's that's going to become the next you know the next frontier i, I i'm going to add to that by even quoting what you had said in the beginning of the podcast and then that 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 ethical framework uh could be could be based off of purpose like our purpose and everyone obviously oh well you know You're what, damn what right is it though, what is, is our purpose is it, is yeah. it what is my purpose so, yes. well here, here's the, the, the best thing the, that, that I, I can think of, especially what if I have no, uh, no purpose? Then, you know, now we start going to the philosophy of nihilism and everything. I'm, I'm going, everything but that. Because, because you start going into no purpose. Trust me, there's, it's probably another whole talk on that. Because now you start going down into an area where I have absolutely no expertise, which is, you know, philosophy. But, um, um, but those are the questions yeah. that are going to get asked. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, you're, you're bringing it mm-hmm. up. I mean, I, you know, my answer is simplistic. I'll just say, you know, play Imagine by John Lennon over and over again and, you know, just <laughs> use that. But, you know, the, 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 fact, the fact is that there will be people who will say that, you know, maybe that's the end of human evolution and there's, there's no point. And then there will be people who will say, uh, you know, there's a, there's a higher purpose and, you know, it's guided, it's, it's guided by, you know, a, a, a universal being, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's a spiritual component to it. And then there's, you know, going to be people like myself who say it, it almost doesn't matter if there's, there's no purpose or a higher purpose, because the answer is going to be the same. That, that if, if there's a, if there's a God, if there's a higher power, then it's incumbent upon us to take care of each other. And if there's no one, then it's incumbent upon us to take care of each other. And I would, I would say that, you know, the, the answer is the same regardless of what you believe. I'm going to say that there's one thing that I, and this is just my personal opinion that I personally shoot for, and I think you can re- re- relate to this. And uh, uh, Merkula Katata had talked a lot about it, and that's the state of flow. Mm-hmm. I think there's a state that, as an individual, especially with you, whether you're boxing or you're doing jiu-jitsu, where you hit a certain uh, state when you are performing this activity, especially after you've trained enough and accumulated enough knowledge where you are in that moment. And there's no better way to describe it, but like there's a vibration inside you where you know that it's like you are in the zone and that everything is clicking. Yeah. That you, that you, that you basically train and you work towards that. Now, if that happens for an individual, you could do the analogy of like instruments in an orchestra Yeah. that they, if, if the string section is working together and so is the brass and so is the rhythm section and everything works. What's that term? Everything works in harmony mm-hmm. together. I, th- that's my little kind of like microcosm of like a purpose to drive towards that. If everyone works on that type of harmonious level, then you get that be- beautiful musical piece. But I, I agree with you. you. Know? And as I so. say, that happens regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, as I say, if you believe, you know, if you believe, you know, there's a God, hmm. uh, uh, how can you, how can you imagine that our purpose would not be to create that sort of symphonic harmony mm-hmm. uh, among, I mean, cause if you believe there's a God, you believe that that God is responsible for all human life. Right. So all life. So, being harmonious being a part of all of that and and having your role in that in the that kind of fabric right of of all living things that's 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 your job that's incumbent upon you and as i say if there's nothing 
if there was just, you know, there's just physics and there's an explosion and there's the extension of that explosion and there's all the, there's all the interactions that happen as a result of it and that we are just a moment in time among those vast billion year long interactions then god damn it like what better thing do we have to do mm. than to impose meaning on it mm-hmm. right like let's let's take our stab let's make this count because we're here and we can right the answer is the same either way it's like we commit to each other and this is this is what technology is challenging us to to accept but it's it's also if it's done right it's enabling us <laughs> to to accomplish right that we can create i mean what is technology if not a way to connect all things together <laughs> right to create that fabric and if we create that fabric and everybody now has a role in it and they have a part in it and they see, you know, where they belong, then, then, then you have, you know, sort of your, your, your symphony, mm-hmm. right? And you have everybody playing their part. Uh, and listen, I know this is, you know, it sounds like a pipe dream, but, but the thing is, again, let's go back to that, that idea that we now have AI working with a, a level of computing power that makes solving anything possible. Isn't that then what we want to solve? Isn't it everybody's role in in this you know vast fabric of existence and the provision of meaning to each person within that? If that's what we want to solve, we'll solve it, right? But we have to we have to value that above you know I you know I want to be you know I want to be Jon Snow in Lord of the Rings. I mean not Lord of the Rings forgive me, uh, um, Game of Thrones for real. Like I want to, I want to go off and live in, you know, some, some, some sort of extended fantasy world. I mean, for some people that may be it, right. You know, I want to just sort of pick my fantasy and live it. Right. But I mean, really the, the happiness, the, the sense of accomplishment, the sense of, you know, having done something that matters, that, that, that's, what's really going to distinguish us. You know, I, I, I still think a life in service to others is the only thing that really provides true happiness. Very well said. Mr. Ben, Bettenbender. I think that's a, a great way to close. I, I, can't, I can't top that. I don't think anyone will be able to top that. Anymore. In fact, I, I would say this topped the last one, and it, I'm, I'm going to have to wait a couple of months before you get even better to, t- <laughs> to top this one for your three-peat. It's always great it was uh, awesome. talking to you. I mean, I, really I, appreciate I, I love talking to you mm-hmm. no matter what the, the situation is. These, these podcasts are, are terrific, and I, I love that you give uh, folks an opportunity to come on and, and, and share you know, the, their, their thoughts and their feelings about things but uh this is always great aki so thank you appreciate it thank you so much and let's barbecue all right yes we did barbecue afterwards and it was awesome having his family over to enjoy a great day he even handed me a a recommended book that i'll be trying to get through in the near future it's uh called to be a machine by Mark O'Connell. Now, Ben swears it's not because he thinks I'm a cyborg. Even though the amount of time I spent with video games in the past, I'm as well been. As always, you can get in touch with us at Dear Warren Podcast at Gmail, Instagram, and on Facebook. And we thank you for listening and all the support. We love you all. And maybe we will see you next time with the wonderful Jessica for the Midweek Podcast. <laughs>